And today we're going to talk about the subject matter of the fight in the camp, or as I titled it, what's up with the fight, okay? And we don't, you know, it seems to be slightly obscure as to why it's in the text at all. You know, what's the big hubla about a fight between an Israelite and an Egyptian? The verse is found in the, in the 24th chapter of uh, Leviticus, and it, we're in Parshas Imor, and it says, The son of an Israelite woman went out, and he was the son of an Egyptian man among the children of Israel. They fought in the camp, the son of the Israelite woman and the Israelite man. The son of the Israelite woman pronounced the name and blasphemed. So they brought him to Moshe and named name, uh, the name of his mother was Shelomis, daughter of Divri, the tribe of the tribe of Dan. They placed him under guard to clarify for themselves through Hashem. It appears that in the onset of this, there are several questions that begs to be answered. One of the things that we've all discovered in our study of Torah, which vastly departs from our previous religious views, is uh, we never asked questions. And if we did, we were told, uh, you just have to believe it, accept it and believe it, because that's just the way we believe. And the beauty of Judaism and Torah Judaism, you can actually study and get the answers. And it leaves no doubt as to what the answers are. You don't have to go manipulate and change things around to get the scripture to, to uh, see what it says. In this uh, sure tonight, I would like to ask several questions. Four, specifically. What did it mean by the term, there came out? Talking about this guy, there came out. From where did he come? Where was he at in the first place? Second question. Over what was the fight between him and the Israelite man about? What was the context of the fight? If you read the plain writing of the text, you really don't get too much besides this idea that uh, he blasphemed or, or pronounced the name of God's, God's name in, in blasphemous manner. Third, why is it noteworthy that he was the son of an Egyptian? What we're going to do is access some of the, um, the Midrash, and we're going to discover there's actually more information, as we always find out, to the story. And fourth and final, how is this passage connected to the preceding one, which is dealing with priestly service. All of this stuff is going to intertwine, and this very simple verse from chapter um, you know, 10 through 12, these three verses or two, are, are going to unravel this great story, and we're going to get to, to learn a whole, whole, whole lot of good things. The Midrash, followed by Rashi, says that the accounts of the person caught gathering wood on the Shabbos and the person cursing God had originally been the single chapter. But the Torah separated them, and he was placed in custody, quote, 2412. But the person who had been gathering wood was not placed in custody. He was taken directly out and stoned. Rashi, on Leviticus 2412, he says, The question arises why the story of the blasphemer was presented here, and all, uh, uh, why was it put here in the, in the beginning? The term there came out, interesting term. Two different approaches are taken in exegesis of this, of this uh, verse. One is the half-Israelite came out physically in person, 
as the person of an Egyptian man, he had not been allowed to pitch his tent within the encampment of the tribe of Dan, of course. So he had to go outside the camp, to which his mother belonged, but he had moved out of camp in the mixed multitude. The fight between him and the Israelite man was caused, uh, is, is what caused him to come out. He came out of the camp, meaning he came out of where he was at and he confronted this Israelite man. The second approach is the concept of coming out meant, it didn't mean the modern day coming out. I just want to remind you. Anyway, we'll go on. I could just see it. I'm an Egyptian. He comes out. Anyway. Uh, uh, my, my twisted mind. Here we go. Uh, the second approach is that of coming out is meant to be uh, that he revealed his true beliefs. That something, sometime in the heat of anger, he said what was really deep down inside of him. His frustration and irritation about life in the camp had come to a, a top place. It says here, the blasphemer came out in scorn of the sanctuary service because of the showbread, the ritual details of which was presented in the last portion, 24, 5 through 9, our last paragraph. According to the scripture, the bread was given to the priest to eat after uh, it has stood on the table for an entire week. And only after it had been replaced by fresh bread, being the, the son of Egyptian man, he was familiar with the Egyptian religious rituals according to the priest receiving fresh bread daily. Leviticus Rabbah chapter 32, verse 3. And therefore he was scornful of this practice. This explanation also answers the fourth question on the connection between the two different portions. What was the fourth, fourth question? The fourth question was, why is it mentioned here right before temple service? The Arbonal's commentary on Leviticus on page 150 relates this primarily to the fourth question. The juxtaposed positions, but his response also provides an answer for the first and third question. The first and third question being, uh, there came out, what is, what, what, where did he come from? And why was it noteworthy that he was a son of an Egyptian? I find this quite intriguing. He says, having commanded and admonished uh, them in preceding passages to safeguard his honor, not treat it lightly, he gave the Israelite commandments, especially for them, and the priest commandments unique to them, and also the commandments of the Israelites, the Levites and the priests regarding the observance of festivals, and laying out the showbread on the table. The purpose of all this that they were safeguarding, not, uh, not um, to disgrace his honor, Hashem's honor. Therefore, as an illustration of practical application, Scripture presented the case of what happened to a specific person who had blasphemed his name and was ordered by the Lord to be stoned to death. That is to say, he came out disrespectfully against the name of Hashem, coming out uh, in desecration of his name, and taking himself out generally of the Israelites by ignoring that of which they had been admonished. The idea is that God wants to put an exclamation point on the end of the idea that everything within the tabernacle has to be held with the highest level of sanctity and respect and honor and dignity. And when he came out and did this, this was proof. If you profane these holy things, then death comes into the camp. Rabbi Shabbati Hakohen, 
says in Sefti Cohen uh, 2, 59a, combines leaving the camp physically with spiritually removing himself from the generality of the Israelites in their faith. So the second idea, he says, maybe this was him just saying, you know what, I, I don't have anything to do with this. He reads verse 10 as, raise, as raising a question. There came out, since he was the son of Egyptian man, what had he to do amidst the Israelites. He adds, however, that in the wake of the argument about the place among the Israelites, the blasphemer revealed his true nature and denying the faith in God and also the power of God's name. Why would he dare want to think about blaspheming God? Rabbi Shabbati HaKohen also relates to the negative outcome of the fight, except that he places it in the religious, not the social dimension. This wasn't a fight about, uh, you know, something being stolen or taken or just in a general argument. The fight caused the blasphemer uh, to lend expression to the heretical ideas that were apparently within him. Being uh, the son of an Egyptian man, his early upbringing uh, had been in an Egyptian society, even when he joined Judaism, he did not forget his former culture. What do they call these kind of people? These people who convert for the wrong reason, and they still have within them their, their negative ways. Now, regarding this idea, why the Egyptian, why is it mentioned, three commentators relate to the historical aspect of the, of the incident. Touching on the remarks on the second and third question is related to the difficulty Moses had in himself passing sentence. It seemed like he really wasn't very eager to pass a sentence of stoning. Why? Would you think he would have this difficult time? Did he not deserve stoning? Yes, he did. Somehow Moses is involved in this as well. And we're going to explain this. According to some, according to the sages, the Egyptian man, the father of the blasphemer, was the same Egyptian man that Moshe killed. Do you get this? So this man's father was killed by Moshe when he uttered the sacred name of God and the Egyptian died. So in the fight and the anger over the whole situation, he screams out in profanity and disrespect the holy name of Hashem. Because Moshe had done this. And he, at some level, not only sinned against God, but he sinned against Moshe. Yet Moshe was a bit resonant to pass judgment because he didn't want the people to think that he was doing this out of revenge because he was pulled into the midst of this fight. Now, we all know that Moshe was a very humble man and very, uh, was full of wisdom. And this is why the person, the two stories together with the man who carries the, uh, the wood on the Shabbos, and the other one who gets in the fight, those were separated over time. One is immediately stoned and one waits for some time. He was waiting to hear for sure, is this what God wanted me to do? Which is pretty, pretty amazing. Now, the interesting thing also is this whole idea of judicial objectivity. Moshe, uh, uh, Rabbi Moshe Ashik Ash, uh, Ash, alludes to his commentary to the same question, as Rabbi Isaac Caro uh, included the family history of the blasphemer. He explains the blasphemer's mother's name was Shilopmit 
daughter of debris, quote unquote, a gossiper. One could have known how to punish a blasphemy from the laws of the Torah without having to inquire of the Lord. This is why it reinforces even more why the sages of blessed memory believe that Moshe was having a difficult time because he did not want the people to think that this was a judgment. This was based anything out of his own personal uh, perspective. When the people brought him to brought uh, the Egyptian to um, Moshe, there was a very powerful statement that was that was made in this process. It was called the, the communal responsibility. What was the community's responsibility in this whole thing? Well, they immediately knew that this was a punishable offense, but they brought him to Moshe. They didn't exercise vi vigilantism. Uh, it was unlike what people think, it, that people in that society was not excited about stoning people like you would see in some uh, Muslim countries. But clearly they brought him to Moshe. There was some communal responsibility that says we have to take this in, in hand and deal with it. Why? Because they realized by not dealing with it, something was going to happen or could clearly happen within the community. We understand that this, this whole structure of respecting, revering, uh, revering God and having um, a community that operates in justice between each other that it makes for a peaceful society. Making for a peaceful society starts when people have the fear of Hashem. Now, in this situation, we live in a pretty peaceful world, right? Uh, in the United States, I'm saying, in our country, not the world. But in the world where people, regardless of what religion they are, have a fear of a divine, have respect of a divine, there tends to be a peace that's there. Um, the, the, the last thing that I would like to, to bring up is who was responsible for carrying out the judgment? Who was responsible for carrying out the stoning? I mean, huh? the people, the witnesses. Which I find the interesting part of Torah law. It says, if you witnessed it, then you participate in the stoning of this individual. Because no one is going to be able to say Moses did it, or Shlomo did it, or Yaakov did it. Everybody participates in this, and that means that everybody was in agreement how this judgment was to take place. It also made the, the when they say the community, it didn't mean all the house of Israel. We're only talking about just that small little group uh, in the tribe of Dan. And it probably would have been a division within the tribe that saw it. But everyone participated in the, the stoning of that individual, which takes it back to this. Uh, in the house of Israel, in the community of, of believers, there is a, uh, a communal responsibility that we have to each other. And that responsibility is what builds strong communities. And I'm not talking about we go in to find somebody to judge and stone. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is having a communal responsibility to elevate righteousness and goodness within a community and with that being said we all take the responsibility of doing that when one fails we all fail when one suffers we all suffer when one fails to illuminate themselves and bring themselves to a higher level of knowledge and wisdom and Hashem we all are in that same shape may Hashem grant us his loving kindness and wisdom 
And may we as a community understand that the negative things that happen within a community, the fights and things that happen, there's always a reason. There's always a, under, a, a what do you call it, a, uh, um, underpinning story behind it. And just like we have here with, with uh, this story, we see that uh, mankind has not changed. Now, thank God we're not going around and fighting and stoning each other. Uh, thank God we don't have to do that now. But at the same time, we do have complex societies in which we have disagreements and discussions. And always, always, always we want one thing. And that is we want to seek Hashem's wisdom and will in whatever we do. That concludes this part of the shirim. Now we're going to go into the...